going to come around the Lord's table and we're going to take communion together. And one of the things, one of the things that uh, the Lord has just stirred in my heart is he doesn't want us to be religious. He's not impressed by the ceremony, the, the pomp, the circumstance. Um, you know, one of the things that, <clears throat> you know, when I was growing up in church, the sanctuary was a sacred place, this room. And so we weren't allowed to, like, um, eat or drink in the sanctuary because it was holy. Uh, we weren't allowed to run because it was holy. We weren't allowed to step on the pews because it was holy. In fact, I remember one time we had altar benches at the front that were taller than this, and they were wooden. And I remember one Sunday night after church sitting there talking with my friends, and uh, I remember an older gentleman coming up to me and, and saying, have you no respect for the altar of God that you would sit on it? Can I tell you, there is nothing special about this room. It's a room. It's a room. And, you know, yeah, we, we call it the auditorium now, and I don't care if we call it auditorium, sanctuary, worship center, room. It's a room. And we care sometimes more about what we call this room than we, we do about anything else in our lives. You know, we, we treat communion as this sacred moment. And I don't, I don't want to be frivolous with what this represents, but this is just juice in a cracker. And as we look at Hebrews chapter 5 today, and then we go to Hebrew, or 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I hope that we make the connection. I, I hope that we make the connection because God wants to show us something that's literally stopping up what he wants to do in our lives. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 5. We've been working our way through the book of Hebrews. And last week, we, we talked about Jesus, our high priest, this great high priest, and his example, we need to learn to pray like Jesus. When he was on earth, how he prayed, we should pray. He was our example. How he obeyed the Father, we should obey. If we are not praying or obeying like Jesus, we're in trouble. Okay, there have been already so many warnings in this book about drifting away and walking away, and there's going to be another one today another warning to us. And so if, we're, if we don't choose to make this a priority in our lives, okay, not to live in condemnation, not to live in guilt and shame and think I don't measure up because it's all about the sacrifice of Christ, but it's time for us to stop being lazy and indifferent. It's time for us to stop saying it doesn't matter how I live. It doesn't matter what I do with my life because it, it does. And there's such strong warnings issued about it. And in the last week's message, we were introduced to this guy named Melchizedek. And this is important because Melchizedek was a priest in the Old Testament that had no beginning and no end. And Jesus is our high priest, but he's not a high priest through the line of Aaron, through the Levites, the way the Old Testament was. He tells us in this chapter, in chapter four, that Jesus comes through the line of Melchizedek. Okay, and then in chapter seven, we're gonna discuss that more, but let's start, Hebrews chapter five, verse, verse 11. Let's start in verse 10, because look at this. God designated Jesus to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now look at verse 11. There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain 
especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. And that doesn't just mean recognize the difference between right and wrong. It means to recognize it and choose what's right. Okay, that's what literally that verse is saying to us. So chapter six, let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. When the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if a field bears thorns and thistles, it is useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. Dear friends, even though we're talking this way, we really don't believe it applies to you. We are confident you are meant for better things, things that come with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him, how you've shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Because of their faith and endurance. See, the writer's warning us about spiritual dullness and indifference. He says there's a lot about this Melchizedek that I want to explain to you and I want to teach you, but I can't teach you for two reasons. You're spiritually dull and you don't seem to listen. That's what he's telling his audience. We don't know how long they've been believers, but what we do know is that they've been believers long enough that they should be teaching others. You have to understand something. We were not saved to just have a relationship with Jesus privately. I know that we have a personal relationship with Jesus, but it is not ever meant to be private. The scripture all the time tells us, as you have received, give. What you have been given by God, use to serve others. Older women, teach the younger. Older men, teach the younger. And so true salvation is accompanied by such love and such passion inside of us to take what we have received freely and give it, whether that's gifts, whether that's mercy, whether that's forgiveness, 
whether it's love, whatever it is. And here's the thing, it doesn't matter what I feel. My feel, nowhere in the scripture does it say do what you feel like doing. Do what you know is true. Do what you know is right. And so if the Bible says this is what I should do and my feelings say I, I can't do that, I go with the word. I don't go with what I feel. I don't feel saved. I don't care if the book tells me I'm saved, if I've put it into practice and I've done what the book says, I'm saved. Not because I feel saved today, but because I am saved because of the book. There are mysteries in the word of God for us to learn and to understand. But as he tells us here, they cannot be understood if we stay babies, if we don't mature. So how do we mature? See, sometimes we think maturity is getting more information, getting more knowledge, Read the Bible more and you'll mature. Go to church more and you'll mature. Do more Bible studies and you're mature. That's not what he says maturity is. Maturity is putting into practice that which we know. See, you could, be, you could have attended church for like uh, 50, 60 years and you could have a list of like a thousand truths that you know. And someone over here could have just maybe gotten saved last week and they only know two truths. And they're putting those two truths into practice and be more mature than someone who knows a thousand truths but isn't really putting them into practice. Does that make sense? Because that leads to spiritual dullness and indifference in our hearts. It's not what I know, it's what I do. In 2 Timothy chapter three, and I don't have this scripture on the screen, but the Apostle Paul is writing about this group of people in the last days that will always be learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. And he tells us that they will be burdened by the guilt of sin, meaning they will not understand the mercy of the cross. They will not be able to receive God's mercy for their sin. They'll be going through religious ceremony. They'll be going through religious acts. And I just, you know, if I just do more good things, God will be pleased with me. You can never do enough good things for God to be pleased with you. He's pleased with you because of the mercy of Christ that comes from the cross. And if you don't understand that and live in that, you'll be one of these people that are burdened by the guilt of sin. But they're also controlled by various desires. That's what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter three. So they're burdened by the guilt of sin and they're controlled by various desires. In, either, in other words, their flesh leads them because they won't receive the grace of God to transform their lives. They'll have a form of godliness, but they'll deny the power to make them godly. They'll have, all, they'll have a thousand truths about God, but they won't be putting them into practice. See, in 1 Corinthians chapter three, Paul says, when I was with you Corinthians, I couldn't talk to you like spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to the world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk not solid food because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you're still not ready. How do we know? Because you're controlled by your sinful nature. You're jealous of one another 
and quarrel with one another. Doesn't that prove you're controlled by your sinful nature? See, what's interesting is in the church, we talk about the things that we shouldn't do and how we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't swear, we shouldn't go to dirty movies, and we, we shouldn't uh, have abortions, and we shouldn't be homosexual, and we, we have this list of stuff. And for the most part, we overlook the, the, the gossip and the slander, and well, you know, that person, I know they're kind of negative and they talk about other people, but you know, the, the, God knows their heart. Did you know that Jesus said from the heart come evil words? And he knows our hearts and he's trying to get us to repent and to stop, stop saying what you're saying. It, you're not saying it because that person deserves it. You're saying it because your heart is wicked and I want to cleanse you. And so if you would come to me and say, God, my heart is wicked because my mouth's proving it. And I, I don't want that. And he would give us mercy and grace. Mercy to take it away and grace to stop. But we don't want to admit it. I don't want to admit that I'm doing anything wrong. I don't want to admit that how I'm living isn't okay. I just want to sing about amazing grace, how sweet the sound that just covers all my sin. No, it empowers me to stop sinning. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus tells us to watch out so that our hearts are not dulled by carousing and drunkenness and the worries of the life. Now, the word carousing just means self-indulgence. Be careful that your heart isn't dulled by self-indulgence. Be careful that your heart isn't dulled by drunkenness. Excuse me, that has nothing to do with alcohol. That means excess. Your heart can be dulled by excess of anything. Okay, so it, it, it's not about alcohol today. Don't let self-indulgence, excess, and the worries of life dull your hearts. Jesus told us the story about the seed, the word of God that was planted in our hearts, and the thorns, the cares of life, came along and it choked it out so that the word wasn't fruitful. See, the person that received that word said amen at church. They received it with joy. They came to the altar and they repented. They received it with joy. But there was no fruit in other words, they didn't conform their life to that word. And because of it, the word was choked out in them. Hebrews tells us that if our lives receive the rain, God is pouring down rain. He's speaking, okay? God is not silent. He's all over the place talking to us. We're, we're not listening. We're not receiving the rain that he's putting down, that he's speaking to our hearts. If we receive the rain of God in our lives and we bear fruit, we'll be blessed. That's what it says. By bear fruit, he means we'll obey the word. But if we bear thorns and thistles, meaning if we don't put into practice the word that we've heard, that field gets condemned and burned. This is a pretty strong warning that he's giving them here. In James chapter one, get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. It has the power to save your souls. It does, absolutely. The word of God is living and powerful, but only when it's applied. 
Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know that we have all knowledge about this issue, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it's love that strengthens the church. And anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. See, we think that someone who is able to expound the scriptures for us and give us all kinds of information, and if we can just, if we know the right answer, then it's okay. But it's not knowing the answer, because knowledge puffs up. It makes us feel important, but it's actually love. It's putting it into practice. That word love is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It doesn't mean that I have to feel gushy when you're around. Okay, so if you're, if you're feeling guilty today because there are people that come around and you don't feel gushy towards them, you stop feeling guilty. There's nowhere in scripture that says you gotta feel something, but you have to act in love. And in, in acting in love, it says deal with the, the issues that you have with one another. Forgive one another from the heart. And we have churches all across this country where people won't talk to each other. We ignore each other. We avoid each other. We talk bad about each other. And yet, we know all the Bible answers, so it must be okay. And we wonder why there's no peace, joy, love, hope, power flowing through our lives. But here's what he says. This is the best part. He says, this is your condition. How many of you know I'm not encouraged by that? But look at what he says. Let us go on and become mature. Let us go on and become mature. Look, here's your condition. Admit it. You don't need these basic teachings again. You don't need to know all these things. You just need to apply them. You need to, to apply repentance. You need to apply this teaching about baptisms, this teaching about uh, laying on of hands, this teachings about the resurrection, this teachings about all of these. You just need to apply these doctrines of faith. You know them. Start living them. Start living them. And here's the thing. You don't have to take a thousand steps today. <laughs> Stop being overwhelmed by the fact, oh, Lord, I have so far to go. Just take one. And here's the thing, when you take one, and the first step is to admit it, God, here's my condition, I agree with you. I've become indifferent, I've become lazy, I've become apathetic, I'm, I'm not looking at listening to your word, I'm not applying it to my life. And if you'll repent, if you'll just make that statement and say, God, I wanna go this way now, I've been going this way, I wanna go this way, he'll give you mercy, which means he won't hold it against you, and he'll give you grace, the power to change. The power to take step two. He's already given us the power to take step one, but our pride keeps us from it. Oh, I don't want to admit I've done anything wrong. I don't want to admit it's my fault. And so we don't receive what he wants us to receive. I don't have time to go into great detail about each of those things and what they represent, but maybe some of you are new to faith and you're like, I don't understand this laying on of hands in the New Testament, they laid hands on people to set them apart for certain ministries. They laid hands on people for them to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is for us still today. He was teaching them about baptisms or the difference between ceremonial washings and true baptism, if you will. The difference between John's baptism and the baptism Jesus calls for. Resurrection of the dead and eternal life. 
And so maybe as I say those things, you're like, I don't even know what any of those things are. That's okay. Keep seeking God. Keep studying the word. But make sure you're applying what he's already revealed to you. Okay, what he's saying to these people is you know all these things. You're just not living them. You're not putting them into practice. I mean, we know that Jesus could come back at any moment, but we don't live our lives like Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4. The world is going to come to an end soon, so be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. How many of us have become more earnest and disciplined in our prayers now that we know that the world is rapidly coming to an end? But I don't feel like praying. I, I don't care. Can I, let, let me let you in on a little secret. I don't feel like praying most of the time either. But I have to recognize the end of the world is coming soon. And there is a war going on for my soul for my family, for people around me, and I need to pray like Jesus. I need to be earnest and disciplined in my prayers, and most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. That's gonna be key. Keep that in mind. Most important of all, keep showing deep love for each other. Showing, not feeling. Now, as you keep showing love for each other, emotions eventually come along. Okay, we lead our emotions, we don't get led by them. You understand that? You don't do what you feel, you do what's right and wait for your feelings to eventually come along. And we, I don't know, we, we may die before our feelings catch up, I don't know. But it doesn't matter, I don't get judged by my feelings, I get judged by my faith, my actions. What I did, not what I felt. And so, he says to them, you're in this spiritual state. You're in this spiritually dull and indifferent thing. But he's like, I don't believe this is you. I believe you were meant for something more. This, I don't believe this about you. In, in fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It always endures through every circumstance. So in other words, he's like, guys, I'm looking at you. You're spiritually dull because you're not listening to what I'm telling you to do. And, and but I know that's not who you are. You were made for something more. I believe that about you. So move on to maturity. Start putting these things into practice. You can do this. You've been given the spirit to be able to do this. And so then in chapter seven, he starts teaching them about Melchizedek. Isn't that interesting? He stops and says, I wanna teach you about this Melchizedek, but I can't teach you because you're spiritually dull and you don't listen. But, then right after he gives them this little speech, he starts teaching them about it. As if he's expecting, I'm gonna tell you, here's your condition, I'm gonna tell you, do something about it, and you're gonna do it, because I know you, I believe you, you've been faithful in the past, I watched you. God's not gonna forget your faithfulness, he's not gonna take your current condition and then wipe away all the good you've done in the past, but here's the thing, you've gotta change your current condition. You've got to change that spiritual dullness and apathy. You've got to admit it, and you've got to start taking the right steps to make the changes. Because if you don't, it's impossible for you to be saved. It's impossible for you to remain in that spiritual state of dullness and disobedience, crucifying Jesus all over again, and expect salvation. You've got to, you've got to admit this. You've got to apply this. You've got to take that step to receive his mercy in his grace, in Matthew chapter 7, <clears throat> Jesus says, <clears throat> not everyone who says, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do my will. 
People are gonna say, we performed all these supernatural signs, we did all these miracles, and he's gonna say, yeah, but you didn't obey me. And whoever this we is, because the, the writer of Hebrews all throughout this passage keeps saying we. It's one of the reasons I think Priscilla and Aquila are the writers of the scripture, because they're a we. I mean, I don't know who we is, but we don't believe this about you. We, today, meaning God and I, don't believe that if you're in a state of spiritual indifference and dullness, like described in Hebrews, we don't have to stay there. Like the the writer of, of Hebrews, I think all of us were meant for better things, things that accompany salvation, not automatic things. Not things that are just gonna happen because you, you showed up at church today, but things that happen because you showed up at church today and you called on God. Showing up at church is just half the battle. Calling on God is the rest. Not because you believed or you agreed with the fact that, you know, this is true, but you start putting it into practice. That's what's making the difference in our lives. And God is gonna be faithful He's gonna be faithful to finish the work that he started in us. The apostle Paul says the same thing in Philippians chapter one. God is gonna finish this work. He's not here to condemn you today. He's not here to say, you spiritually dull, inconsiderate, terrible people. He's here to say, hey, I love you guys. You're spiritually dull, you're indifferent. Your lives are bearing more thorns and thistles than they are fruit. Would you admit it? Would you recognize it? Come to me, I'll give you mercy. I'm not gonna hold it, I don't wanna hold it against you. I sent my son so I don't know, I don't have to hold it against you, but if you don't ask me for mercy, I can't do anything. If you won't admit it, if you won't come to me and say, hey God, here's my issue. I can't give you mercy. So come, ask for mercy. And not only mercy, but ask for grace. I want to change you. I want you to look like me. I don't want you to look like the world. I want you to look like me. See, Jesus taught us that this is going to, the, the, the best way to tell this is what the writer of Hebrews tells us at the end of this passage. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. So then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you'll follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith, their obedience, and their endurance, meaning they don't give up. They just have some old-fashioned, I'm gonna keep obeying no matter what because that's that's how I'm saved, by faith and endurance. But before he says that, he says, keep on loving each other. This is where the rub, this is where this gets worked out. This is why we're not called to be isolated believers just serving Jesus in my little little circle here. Just me and Jesus and maybe one or two other people I let in that circle. This is why we're called to be in the body of Christ and exercise love for one another. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus said, don't just love people who are nice to you. If you just do nice things to people who are nice to you, what good is that? The world does that. I mean, if you only bless those and pray for those and treat those well who do that to you, you're no different than tax collectors. That's the world. But I want you to be perfect like my Father in heaven is perfect. And how do we do that? We love our enemies. We love those who irritate us. And love doesn't mean feel. Love means act. Act. It means to love them. And he proves it with this. You see, so Pastor Tom, what's this all have to do with communion? I'm glad you asked. 
because this is where I think it all comes together. See, Paul writes to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Remember, he's writing to the church in Corinthians to correct all kinds of stuff. He's correcting sexual sin, sexual immorality, all kinds of uh, just craziness going on. He, he's correcting the gifts of the Spirit that are being misused in the body of Christ. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I think sometimes we miss this, his strongest rebuke comes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it deals with the Lord's Supper. He says, in the following instructions, I cannot praise you. Meaning, I want to. His heart, even in correcting them, is I want what's best for you. I want to praise you. I want to be able to present you before, before Jesus and say, look, here is your bride. That's the heart of Paul. I know Paul gets a bad rap because he's kind of mean, it seems like sometimes. But his desire was to present them to the Lord as one that's perfect. It sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. See, it's actually possible for us to come together in church and have more harm done than good. How? Well, first, I hear there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. And to some extent, I believe it. And I took out Paul's sarcasm because he says then, you know, there have to be divisions so that you know which ones are truly the Lord's and which ones aren't. Ouch. So let's just skip that part. Dot, dot, dot. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. Some of you are, are, you hurry to eat your meal without sharing with others, and as a result, some go hungry and others get drunk. See, communion in the Bible days was not this little plastic cup and cracker, and communion was, or the Lord's Supper, was a feast. They had all this food. And some people just didn't care about everyone else. I mean, they wanted to come and they wanted to eat and they wanted to go. And so the people that maybe had to work later or the poor people among them, I mean, it's just about me and Jesus. I want to get my and I want to go. I want the benefits of this table, but I, you know, as far as waiting for other ones. So an application for us would be, you know, I, it's not that we don't wait till everyone's served. If I gave you communion today and you just started drinking before everyone else, then you would be sinning. That's absolutely not what he's talking about in any way, shape, or form. What he's talking about is that you don't care about anyone else in the body of Christ. All you're in it for is I want to come to church and I want to receive from the Lord and I want to get and I want the benefits of this. But, to, you know, as far as being involved with other people or as far as like caring about the people beside me or around me or, you know, I'll just come in, you know, right as it starts and leave right away. And I don't want to minister to others, even though the Bible says use my gifts to build up the body. And even though it says to act in love towards others, I don't want to do any of that. That's the American church. I just want to serve Jesus, me and Jesus. And then he goes on to tell them the reason that we do communion. And he says, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who drinks this, eats this or drinks this unworthily is guilty against the body and blood of the Lord. This is why you should examine yourselves before eating and drinking the cup. If you eat and drink without honoring the body of Christ, We have taken it to mean this is sacred. And so if I don't solemnly recognize the holiness of these things, no, the body of Christ 
It's clearly what he's talking about because he's just addressed it. You're not recognizing the body of Christ. You're not recognizing your brothers and sisters in the body. You're just coming to get your food and go home. You're not recognizing the body. And so you're drinking condemnation on yourself. Look at what he says. This is why you're weak and you're sick and you've died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. We would just come and admit it. God, I've cared more about myself. Self-indulgence. I've become dull, indifferent. I'm not applying your word. I let my, the words that come out of my mouth, they're so f- flippant and loose. And God, I, I repent. Mercy. Because look what he says. When we are judged by the Lord or when we're being disciplined by him, he's doing it so he doesn't have to condemn us along with the word, world. In other words, anything in this life that someone teaches you or preaches to you or anything in this life that you read and you're like, oh, that really hurts, I don't like it. It makes it sound like I'm, all of these wicked things are living in my heart. It's so that when you stand before him on judgment day, it's not like a shocker for us. He wants you to stand there and receive And this is the most important thing. And this is where, by and large, most churches are having problems. We don't want to recognize the body of Christ. I just want to eat and drink my stuff. I want to get the benefits of my salvation, and I want to go on my way. And how many scriptures have we read today that talk about that that's not what Jesus wants? And so today, we're going to serve communion. And in essence, after we pass out these elements, we're going to take it together. We're going to repent corporately. We're going to share our issues with the Lord. And then we're going to partake of the elements together. And how we're going to do it today is I'm just going to pass it out. See, sometimes we make this moment like so sacred. And again, please don't misunderstand me. I don't want to be frivolous with the blood of Jesus Christ. But Paul says, when you take this, when you do this, when you come together and you say, God, we're, we're your body. And you take these elements, you are announcing the Lord's death. That's what you're doing. Remember when the Bible says you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth and you're saved, okay? You're confessing with your mouth that you're saved. That's all we're doing. We're, we're announcing his death and resurrection. We're announcing his mercy in our lives. We're announcing the grace of God. We're announcing what Jesus did. Jesus, I'm a son and daughter of God. I don't have to be burdened by guilt and shame today. Even if there are things that I need to deal with and there are words that have come out of my mouth this week that I gotta repent of, there's mercy. That's what, this is mercy. There's grace, there's power to change. I don't have to live this way anymore. I can be changed. And so we're announcing that to ourselves because, you know, it's good to talk to yourself and remind yourself. We're announcing it to the principalities and powers that are at work. Hey, I'm a son and daughter of God. Stop telling me I'm condemned. Stop telling me I bear shame and guilt. I am free. Remember this. We're announcing his death. And so that's what we're going to do. And so I'm going to take a tray and I'm going to give it to each section and I just want you to pass it out. You know, if you need to pass it down the row and then get up and give it to the next row and, and when whoever is done with it, bring it back. That's all we're going we're gonna to pass it out. That's what we're going to do. Okay, so just make sure everybody gets one. I'm going to put all of you in charge. You're just going to pass them around and we're going to make sure everybody gets one.
watched some of you know that someone else couldn't get up and so I watched you think about it and be it on the ball and I watched some people go and make sure that this person could bring it back and some people brought it back that haven't attended here very long and some people have attended here a long time and brought it back that's the body of Christ see it's not just the spiritual deacons that are allowed to touch these trays Because who would be worthy to touch the tray? (laughs) That's the point. There's not one of us worthy to carry that tray. That's the body of Christ. And so you're not flippant if you, you know, treat this moment as less than holy and sacred and quietly and reverently bow our heads. But if we don't recognize the body of Christ as we take this, if we're flippant with our brothers and sisters in Christ, that's the problem. 
And we can't stay there. Please don't tell me that every church does it because we're going to be the first to stop. Amen? And so, Father, we today are grateful for the love that you demonstrated toward us while we were your enemies. Thank you that you love us enough today to speak to us, to wake us up from our spiritual dullness, from our disobedience. God, to remind us that we need to call on you. As you told us today, we need to call, and we need to call now. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day to repent. You've spoken so clearly to us from beginning to end of this service. And so Holy Spirit, as you reveal to us the reasons that maybe we're dull in our lives, maybe it's the way we treat others, maybe it's sexual immorality, maybe it's just different indifference, maybe we've just become tired and we stopped obeying and enduring. Maybe we just got tired of it, not seeing the results we had hoped for. And so we just, we didn't mean to stop, but we just recognize now we've drifted. Thank you for these warnings that the writer of Hebrews puts in front of us. And yet all the time he continues to remind us that there's mercy, that our salvation isn't dependent upon our own ability to do this. All we have to do is recognize when we're not doing it and come to your throne to get mercy and come to your throne to get grace because you don't want to just continue to leave us in that condition. You don't want us to keep coming back and just getting mercy over and over for that same thing. Your blood isn't the blood of bulls and goats. Your blood is way more powerful. You've given us the ability to be transformed. We used to slander others, but now, not because of your blood. We used to be greedy, but not anymore. We used to be immoral, sexual idolaters, but not anymore. You've empowered us to be perfect, just like our Father in heaven is perfect. And so in this moment, God, we recognize the things your spirit is speaking to us. And we repent today. We repent for failure to recognize the body Christ in any way that we have, for being indifferent toward our brothers and sisters in Christ, or worse, speaking evil of them, slandering them, holding on to bitterness or unforgiveness. God, we admit it to you today the Holy Spirit has spoken to you today about anything, he's brought something to your mind. In this moment, I want you to, to voice that to him. You don't have to say it loud enough for the world to hear you, but just whisper that to him. Don't let pride keep us from responding in this moment. Father, today for your mercy. 
for your mercy that you've made available because of the blood of Jesus Christ. For the grace that you've made available because of his sacrifice. We ask you for those things. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake the elements today. In that act, we have just proclaimed again what Jesus has done for us. We've proclaimed that we are sons and daughters of God. That we are not what we used to be. That his blood genuinely and truly covers our lives. I want to invite you to stand with me. As we get ready to close this service today, there's one last thing I want to make available to you. The scripture says, never be lacking in zeal, Romans chapter 12, verse 10, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. If you're here today and you've become indifferent to the word of God, maybe it's the idea that we haven't become earnest and disciplined in our prayers. And we need to repent of that. Maybe it's that we were, we're not in the word as much as we should be. We need to repent of that. But if, you, if the Spirit of God today is say, saying to you, you've become indifferent. And you need to fan into flame that gift in your life. I want to open the altars to you at the end of this service. If you want to come and I just feel like we need to say, God, fan into flame that gift in our hearts. If for no other reason, if it only takes us 30 seconds to just come and kneel and admit, God, I've become indifferent. I've become cold. I've let the gifts that you've placed in my life just become dormant. And I want that to be fanned into flame right now. I want to invite you as I close in prayer, I want to invite you to come and find a place around this altar to just begin now to fan into flame that gift that God has placed in our lives. And so Father, I thank you again. I thank you again for not only your love, your mercy and your grace that you demonstrated through Christ, but the love that you continue to demonstrate by sending your spirit. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you don't coddle us, that you don't lie to us, that when we need to be rebuked, you rebuke us, that when we need to be corrected, you, you correct us because you love us, because ultimately you want us to stand before that judgment seat, and you want us to hear, well done. You don't want us to be deceived by hearing the message of truth, but yet then our lives are bearing thorns and thistles. So thankful for your steady reign in our lives. Thank you that even when we ignore you, you still send rain on our lives. You still speak your word over us. You still reach out to us. 
you still draw us near. That you never give up on us. So we're not going to let the condition of our lives in the past define our current standing. Today we're going to repent. We're going to receive your mercy. And we're going to receive your grace. And we ask that you would come. You just breathe on the embers of the fire in our hearts. Forgive us for letting self-indulgence, excess, and just the worries of life cause our hearts to become dull. Fan into flame your gift in our life. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. The altars are open for you if you want to spend some time in prayer. If you need to be dismissed, just do it quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those that want to spend more time in prayer before they go. God bless you as you go this morning.